It is very difficult for me to mourn someone that I didn't really know. My grandmother died about two and a half months ago, and I, if I've mourned anything, I've mourned for the sadness that my mom carries with her, not knowing that her mother is gone. And you would think, well, it's expected. My grandmother was in her late 80s. Her uh, mental capacities had been withering away for a long time. And so, to a certain degree, her passing is a relief to the family, to my mom, to, to, her, you know, to, to my grandmother's children, and to a certain degree us, because no longer do you have to deal with somebody who is, who is not really themselves anymore. That I think the reason why I mourn for my mom is because this is the second time in less than a decade that she has to do this. The first time was with my father. He passed away of diabetes, uh, it, but it took him a long time to go. And you, she, my mom, had the burden of seeing somebody that she, who was the love of her life, over five or six years wither away to a twig. I've talked about my dad before, and I've talked about how he was this brawny, stocky sort of guy uh, who wasn't shy about throwing punches when he needed to. And I think that bravado is what my mother fell in love with. And so to see that man be skin and bones by the time it was all said and done, his face gaunt, you know, his skin barely hanging on to, uh, barely hanging on to his um, skeleton, uh, having difficulty breathing. Also, at the very point by the time that I saw him last, him having have lost the ability to speak even, that's disastrous with those that are left behind. But she coped with it, she dealt with it, she overcame it, and now she was thrust in the position because of family dynamics that now she was in charge again of an elderly person who was losing all her capacities, this time mental, and, and she had to deal with it relatively on her own. That's not easy, and it's it's something that I don't know that I would have the fortitude to deal with. It's one of the challenges, one of the things that I worry about uh, as I start thinking about my later years. I'm 41 now, and I already start feeling my body creak and crack. And I think if you if you fast forward 20 more at 60, or you fast forward 40 years more at 80, um, will I be able to cope with maybe my wife that gets sick? Will I be able to how will I cope with friends and family that, that I care about getting ill as well? Uh, what if there is cancer in our future? What if there is a, an accident that, that comes to pass and I'm responsible for taking care of somebody who, for as long as I've known them, has been able-bodied? Do I have the fortitude of character to deal with that? And the answer is that I don't know. I think that my, that my makeup as a human uh, my compassion would rule the day. But I think that un until you're faced with the reality of dealing with somebody who is no longer themselves as you knew them, you don't really know what you will do. When my wife and I were first uh, getting together, we were boyfriend and girlfriend and, and, or, or, in, or getting serious. We would have these philosophical uh, or thought experiment conversations that's where we would say, well, what if I got into a car accident and I couldn't walk anymore? Would you still be with me? 
Or what if I lost an eye? Or what if I were in a fire and I was disfigured? Would you still love me? And if it, the answer was always, of course, you know, of course I'd be there. And I think I would. But it really does test you when you think about it now. Because would I be? Back, back then, I would like to say that I would have been. But I was too selfish, too young, too hung up on the physical to even think about taking care of somebody who was disabled or somebody who you know, had, was disfigured. But now, after 20 years with my wife, 20 plus years with my wife, could I be so callous to think that if she wasn't, if she didn't look the way that I've known her, that, or, or, or was relatively, you know, drastically different than how I knew her, would I really be as callous enough to say that I care more about the physical that I would want to leave? I don't think that I could because I love her, because we share so much together. Because this is going to sound cliche and, you know, like, oh shit, the guys have to say, but I love the woman beyond what she looks like. She's my other half. And, uh, but again, you only know until you're tested. But that's not the, po post, uh, the point of this whole conversation. The point is that. My grandmother's all of a sudden gone. My mother is 3,000 miles away in Mexico. To me, uh, because I've been here in the U.S. for so long, it really is a foreign land. And she is deep in Mexico. It's not like she's right across the border. She is like in Mexico City. And the way that the society works, the way that the laws work, that the way that the, you know, the, their ebb and flow, their everyday works, is completely foreign to me. Now, people are people, I get that. But it, when it comes to legalese, there's a whole, I, I think, the, I, I don't know how Mexico works, correct? So, here's the thing. All of a sudden, like I said, she, my grandmother dies, my mother is left with um, some property that needs to be dealt with. My mother doesn't want to stay in Mexico, she wants to come back to the U.S. So, we need to dispose of this land. And there are ready, willing, and able buyers out there who will take care of it. But what's the process? Obviously, we don't want her to get cheated, and she doesn't want to be cheated herself. But who do you turn to? Who do you trust? She has very limited family. Um, and like I said, whenever it comes to money, people change. And so, of course, my mom not having any other resources, she turns to me. But I am limited in my knowledge of Mexico. I know nothing about it. But that's what I wanted to get to. You know, that's the point of this whole conversation that I'm having with you. Is that even 3,000 miles away, even not having lived in the country for over 30 years, with my Spanish being limited because I don't speak it in the everyday, and especially not legal lease or anything that has to do with, uh, with real estate, I know that I am inquisitive, uh, enough that I'm resourceful enough to at least get her some competent help and that's the point of our dialogue today you and I is that I want to take you to a certain degree of what my process is and how you may want to adopt some parts of it when you feel you know challenges come your way um, considerable challenges come your way so my mom calls me and she says, Hugo, uh, we need to, I need to see about selling this property. What should I do? Who should I talk to? And I said, well, wait, let me make some, let me think about, let me think it through. Let me think about it. First and foremost, real estate sales are relatively simple. 
right? People have been doing it since the, you know, since the concept of personal property became a thing. And so I, I, I like to distill, right, to break the things down to the simplest thing. And obviously, you're a seller, you're a buyer, but first and foremost, you need to understand whether the piece of property that you have is something that you can actually sell, meaning that there's no clouds on title, is what we call it here in the U.S., meaning that there are no issues that would affect the property that would either limit its value or prohibit you from selling it. So if let's say that there's a lien on the property here in the U.S. If you had contractors come out to the home, they did some work around the place, and you decided not to pay them, they could put a lien on your property uh, requesting you know the powers that be that when you go to sell that home that they get recoup their costs or sometimes if it's extreme um, that you that the courts force you to sell the home so that they can recoup whatever monies they've spent and what and whatever work has been done in the home so you want to make sure that you don't have a cloud on title that there's nothing that if you have a clean title that you're going to be able to pass on from one person to the other right so we, we need to, who would do that? Real estate agents or real estate professionals. How do they work in Mexico? That's what we're going to find out. So um, I, I distill things first to the, the most basic components. How would it basically work? And my head starts thinking, who do I know? What are my resources? Who do I know? What are my resources? So I work with a branded company here in the U.S., uh, a, a real estate brokerage who's branded. And I realize as I start thinking, that they have offices all across the, the U.S., but also internationally. So I pop up you know, my, com my computer, I, I pull up uh, the, the company that I work for, look at their international sections, and I find real estate agents, offices and real estate agents that work uh, around the area where my mom happens to be. Bind you, that I have Google Maps so, uh, on so that I can kind of see where these offices are, are relative to my mom because I don't want to have somebody from 10,000 miles away giving, you know, uh, giving, a, uh, giving me an opinion. So I call the real estate agent, one real estate agent, and I ask him questions. And, I, and the basic thing is, how does real estate work in Mexico? I get an answer. Perfect. Thank you very much. I also look him up on Facebook to kind of just get an idea of who the person is. Basically, are they trustworthy? And, and, and just a quick aside, and I know that I make divergences all the time when I speak to you guys, but that's where the power of social media comes in because you can get a feel of who the individual is that you're working with by Googling them, by searching online. And I think it is important that whatever you put out there is marketable. Right? A lot of folks out there today are putting shit out there just because they think they're being funny, they're being silly, they're using the, the place as just a, pl a, a place to vent. But it can't come to bite you in the ass. Now, you might say, well, Hugo, you put a lot of shit out there on the Twitter machine and, and you're always you're, you're, you're retorting, you're, you're conversing, you're flirting, whatever you want to say on there. But anything that I put on the Twitter machine or, or the Instagram or, or the Facebook or any of the social media sites that I'm part of are things that I, can, that I can say, yes, I stand behind them because they are who I am. Not, oh, I was just joking, that's not really me. I own everything that's, on, that's on, in social media. That's why my face, my name, my likeness is on them because I want people to know that I stand behind why, what I said. So anyways, I look this guy up, and I see that he seems like a relatively nice bloke, and he's got a family, 
um, and, and he, he obviously seems business oriented. I like the way that he talks to me. Great. And I also, I always excuse the fact that A, I'm in the U.S., so I don't know, and B, that my Spanish is pretty darn terrible. Um, but he, walk, he, he walks me through, through the process. Then I'll go to a non-branded company and ask, how does real estate work? The concept of that for me is that I always want to compare and contrast the answers. I don't want to just go on one person's advice. I like to have multiple sources of information so that way I can gather a bigger picture of how things are. And if something really sticks out, uh, you know, uh, different from the other, then I can start asking questions. So, okay, well, why, what is that? Or why did one person tell me one thing and this person tell me another about the similar process? Somebody is either lying or somebody's misunderstanding or perhaps I'm not comprehending it correctly, so I need to ask further questions. I need to have further dialogue. So I call around. I get a couple of answers. Then I recall, because again, I'm always in this constantly asking, who, what are my resources? Who do I know? I had just happened to be on Instagram, and there was a real estate agent that I interviewed on this podcast many months ago from Chicago, who I remember looking through her Instagram story that she just happened to, the week prior, be in the place where my mother lives, being doing touristy stuff. So, now she is a trusted real estate professional here in the U.S. that I, I know, that I've talked to, that I've networked with. So I gave her a call and I said, hey, listen, I, I, real estate agents are always looking at, up, you know, at real, a local real estate, whether they're in you know different county or in different country. I said, who do you know out there? I called her and I said, who do you know out there? She hooked me up with a real estate agent uh, and a property manager. And with that person, I called the next day and gave him the rundown of what was going on with my mom. And he said, "Don't, not a, not a worry. We can take care of it. And he confirmed a lot of the things that the other real estate agents had said. Bam. Then I called on my mom, passed on the information I told, and, and gave her the, the, you know, the, the takeaway uh, of what the process was as far as I understood it said here are three names that I think that are you know that are trustworthy that you may want to look into I also triaged it and I said this is the person that I think is best this would be my second choice this would be my third and then of course I am always available for you to, for you to call and help me here um, you know and you have you have another pair of eyes here to, to assist I then called my children over and I told them the entire story because not only is it important for you to know <laughs> kind of how I process these things, but also I am training a new generation of, um, well, potential, you know, they, they will be workers in, 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 our, in our economy, and I want them to know how does that process all of this? How does he come up with the answers to, to things? That they, are, they don't come in a vacuum, that it's actually... There's many steps that I take, and so I went, I, I went through the same story that I just told you. Now, do I know how it's going to be resolved from this point forward? No, I don't. It's only step one, right? But now, you have a situation that's coming your way. It's looming, or all of a sudden it presents itself. You have a challenge, you have a puzzle box, you have a problem. You, whatever is coming your way, you have to deal with it. 
how would I suggest you do it? First and foremost, I always think of, number one, perspective, changing your perspective. You'll hear a lot of the times with me, whether I'm writing on the Twitter machine or if in any of my other writings, that I seldom talk about problems. Oh, I'm having a problem, blah, 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 blah. I don't typically do that. I always say I am having a challenge. A problem is something that you carp about, that you complain about, that you bitch about. A challenge is something that you have to overcome. At least in my mind. I, for years now, I have been, in, I have been asking myself, what is the challenge? Because it puts me in a frame of mind where I have to figure out a way to overcome it. It puts me in a place, in a frame of mind where I have to start thinking of what are the possible solutions to this challenge. You can choose your own word, but I think that it's limiting when you choose something like problem because the word in itself connotes that you won't be able to overcome it. And if you're in that set of mind, it's going to be very difficult for you to find an answer. Second of all, prepare your body for thinking it. You know, one of the challenges that I think that we have is that I, 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 that we become reactionary when something comes our way. We don't hunker down. We don't, you know, get put ourselves. Uh, we don't bear ourselves to deal with whatever is coming our way. And in sometimes precious seconds, five seconds, ten seconds, if you can give yourself more time to prepare your body and your mind to, to understand what's coming at you and how you're going to overcome it, all of that is paramount. So oftentimes when something comes my way, I think, how big of an emergency is this? I really give that a lot of weight and then I give it time so that I can take in as much information, so that I can prepare my body to think, and then I start coming up with, with answers to, to things coming my way. So, prepare your body to think. Give yourself, give your body and mind time to start processing. Don't go with your gut reaction, I mean, unless it's life and death, don't go with your gut reaction because you're likely to blurt out something or to act in such a way that is going to make the issue worse than better. Now, if you think that, that I'm wrong about that, by all means, let me know. And I'm sure that in specific situations, you know, a quick reaction is warranted. But on the overall, on the life challenges that you will face, I think it's better for you to take moments to really think, to really think it through and prepare your mind and body to, to contemplate on them, right? Then, I would say, ask yourself out loud, who do I know, what are my resources? Because it puts your mind, at, start thinking, start coming up with how, of all the things that are available to me, what can I draw from? You know, a lot of the times we think, oh, no, we're, on, we're in this only with ourselves, by ourselves. Whatever wicked thing is coming our way, we got to deal with it on our own. 
But more often than not, complex problems, uh, it takes a village to solve them. You decide what size of the village that is. But friends, family, the internet, uh, books, magazines, there's answers everywhere. You just got to go to your mind palace and figure out who, what are my resources? Who do I know? You know, and who do I know? It sometimes becomes a lot easier because we have social media now. And so we have a much larger pool to people to draw from. But you still got to put your mind in that mindset of asking that question so that it starts coming up with answers and you can start writing it down. You can start thinking of, of new possibilities. Challenge yourself. Come, if you have had a project or something that you've been worrying about you know, tackling lately, ask yourself the questions and see if it works. Then finally, you need to act and not be embarrassed about asking questions. There's sometimes when you're just going to say, fuck it. I might sound stupid, but it's better to ask than to sit in my room and sulk. Right? I'll give you a case in point. Uh, yesterday, I had to write a purchase contract. And I've written a purchase contract for real estate in my, in, in my private business here. And I came upon a paragraph that I have not seen in a while. Now, I have 20... Well, uh, just under 20 years of real estate experience, I have. I feel like I've seen a lot. I have done a lot. I have written a lot of contracts. Um, I've negotiated things left and right. Really dealt with some heavy duty situations. And also, people in the industry know me as somebody who's really good at putting contracts together. But I came across some new verbiage that I had not, you know, that I've not dealt with, and. Because it's been a busy summer, honestly, I spaced out. And so I'm like, fuck. I, probably, I don't want to get this wrong because getting things wrong in, in, in a real estate sale or purchase is expensive. So I'm going to have to suck it up and I'm going to have to call one of my office mates and she, who's a few years my junior but who has been very busy lately and ask her, hey, listen, I'm looking at this contract and I haven't come across this in a while. So... What do you think about this line and this verbiage that I'm using? We went back and forth and, and whatnot, and I did some self-deprecating humor uh, to kind of excuse it away. But at the end of the day, I, I felt embarrassed about asking because I should be the know-it-all. But the fact is that I'm not. And so I made the call. I got the answer. We were cool. If you don't have dialogue for yourself, on how to ask embarrassing questions properly, you're doing a disservice to yourself. You need to have a humble script. Some type of, of practice speech where you ask others things that you're embarrassed to ask, but you're hoping that they'll be helpful, mindful, human, and, they, and they'll help you reach, uh, get your answer. Practice it. It's worthwhile. You know, I sometimes think about my grandma and how she got through life. And uh, especially during those difficult 1960s years when she was just a single mom trying to just deal with um, losing her husband and, and stuff like that. And I, I like to think that even though I didn't know her very well, I didn't know her at all, that 
at least I know her at the DNA level. In the sense that her, you know, pull no punches, I'm going to get, I'm going to ask questions, I'm going to lead life, I'm not going to lead, I'm not going to stop experiencing because my husband's gone, that she had the foresight and the strength of character to go out there and ask and not let the bad things that happen in life limit her, you know, what kind of experience she was having, you know, her 70 years or plus that she, she lived after my grandfather was gone, 60 years plus after my grandfather was gone. So maybe as I start thinking about that, I think that part I'll mourn. The fact that I didn't get to know more about her moxie. But I'll celebrate the fact that she found a way to give me some of it to, to enjoy and make life better for my kin. Peace.